Hello everyone. Welcome to the third episode of Charcha with Kaz. I am Mahita Valori, a student of Global Affairs at the School of International Affairs, OP Jindal Global University, and I will be hosting today's episode alongside Professor Raghav Sharma, who heads the Center for Afghanistan Studies and teaches in the Jindal School of International Affairs. Today, we're hosting a very special guest, the Sharjah Dafair of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan to India. Mr Mohammad Naeem Tahir Qadri Mr Qadri is also a non-resident chargé d'affaires of Afghanistan to Nepal Bhutan and Maldives He is also a co-chairperson of the India Afghanistan Foundation Prior to working as a diplomat Mr Qadri has had 18 years of experience across various spheres of management public policy development and media Mr Qadri is credited with having founded the first English and literacy school during the Taliban era in the north of Afghanistan. It provided an opportunity for more than 5000 local boys and later for girls to learn English and other subjects. Later, he launched the first daily newspaper called Sahar, The Dawn. He subsequently worked for the BBC World Service, but his work has won critical acclaim, including the One World Media Award in London. He has produced, directed and presented more than 10 award-winning documentaries for the BBC World TV. Since taking charge in May 2019, Mr. Qadri has worked hard to strengthen the Indo-Afghan connect in areas of culture, trade and people-to-people contact. For his tireless efforts in fostering the bilateral ties between Afghanistan and India, Mr. Qadri was awarded the Best Diplomat of the Year. Today, he has kindly accepted our invitation for a charcha about the Afghan peace deal and its implication for Afghanistan and the region. On 29th February 2020, after long parleys, the Taliban and the US government inked a peace deal which has thus far struggled to gain effective traction. The exclusion of the Afghan government from the negotiations process cast a shadow on the deal, as have the palatability of certain clauses of the peace agreement. The peace agreement calls for a gradual withdrawal of foreign forces. an intra-afghan dialogue and urges the taliban to decrease violence but it shies away from a ceasefire as we speak the much anticipated intra-afghan negotiations are set to take place in doha between the taliban and the afghan government the success of this deal the endurance of the peace it proposes and the future of the nation are highly uncertain in light of the taliban's continued violence lack of political consensus in kabul and wavering support for the afghan war in washington thank you for joining us today mr qadri and welcome to the show thank you so much thank you giving me giving me the platform and i'm very pleased actually to be speaking to you and dr zaibrogger it's our pleasure mr qadri So peace has several dimensions to it. For some it might mean merely the absence of physical violence and for others it means the ability to be able to define their way of life without coercion. So what does peace mean to you? Uh well um I think it is a very difficult question. In fact as I'm just speaking to you the uh, talks uh, the intra-Afghan talks between the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan and the Taliban it has just uh, started in Doha and in fact while I'm speaking to you I'm also watching some um, footage uh, from there 
which of course gives me you know a mixture of different feelings about what peace means um as somebody who grew up you know all my life in afghanistan and especially during the taliban regime um um uh, it it peace uh, as you know a lot of meanings and uh, it really means a lot to me because i personally have lost a lot of my family members my great friends during the 40 years of war and especially over the last 20 years in explosions and suicide bombings and killings uh, organized killings uh, so peace for me means is living a moment without thinking that your family is safe your friends are safe and that you know you can live your life um, as you want to do right so could you describe to our listeners the situation that persisted in afghanistan before the us intervention Oh well, uh, I was uh, a teenager at that time and uh, uh, I think I can talk um uh, to you and walk you through for you know hours <laughs> during that time what happened. Um I was uh, a teenager, I couldn't go to school of course, so I had to be sent to an Islamic school that time. Uh, my sisters couldn't go anywhere and were confined. Uh, at home but of course the thanks to our parents that who were literate and they were teaching them and educating them uh, there uh, for me being a teenager um uh, i was not actually exposed to the outside world at that time so we didn't know what was happening in india for example we didn't know uh, what was happening you know with the politics of the world so all we knew was that system which was imposed on us um uh, during the Taliban regime and perhaps sometimes you know we heard about the bollywood songs which were smuggled in afghanistan through pakistan some you know songs and music which that was actually the only entertainment that we had at that time so imagine that you know uh, uh, being locked in a country which is uh, which is which which is not connected and disconnected to the world um so you can imagine you know what kind of life you're living in you had to grow a beard which of course i didn't have a beard that time i was too young but you had to report even uh, whenever uh, you uh, went uh, let's say i uh, my father and i we used to go to our sister's house we had to register in uh, an attendance uh, book that okay in case if we don't report to the mosque we'll be there mm. um and uh, of course that was i mean that was okay all the situation was not promising at all i mean um you could not get an education i quite remember the time our house was very close to a garden uh, which we called it bagh e huzur or the prison's mm. garden uh, where uh, the governor's office actually was there and then you know in the evenings we sometimes just wanted to go to play football of course football was also banned but you know we did um then all of a sudden there were was you know there were sirens and dust coming in and then we would see the taliban's cars that they would bring somebody to chop their hand for stealing robbery or i i witnessed also um uh, people being hanged there so they would allow everyone to come in to see as if like it was a theater so really dark days really dark days for all of us and as you mentioned in your intro i opened during that time um an english mm. school with few colleagues with few friends they we are just sitting in the taliban come and they say that um please show us your curriculum so we show them it's like okay this is a book mm. this is a notebook things like that then they say no you're not allowed to do this you have to teach islamic theology in english then we say that how is it possible i mean 
for learning English like this is, you know, how people learn English. Then they closed uh, our course down. Uh, so it was actually we had op we had barely opened it for, mm -hmm. for a year. Uh, but then they opened, uh, they closed it down. We, we had to let me also tell you, it's perhaps very interesting for your um, uh, listeners that as a criteria, we had turbans uh, as part of our um, uh, outfit. So we had hundreds of turbans, the students who came in, they had to wear during mm -hmm. the classes. Um, but then one day they come and they close it down and then we get close under uh, the fall of the Taliban, which we later opened it. So overall for me, you know, uh, that I grew up um, my base time of like, you know, my childhood or teenage, teenage time, which I should have like, you know, uh, enjoyed my time and learned. But um, this was the kind of situation, you know, we were living in uh, nothing, you know, no connection with the world. Um, no book to read, uh, no, of course, internet wasn't at that time. So no computer, no film, no movies. And uh, then uh, now I, you know, sometimes I feel like uh, thinking that how we lived that time, I think, uh, uh, you know, we were resilient to do that. You know, Kadri Sahib, when um, the United States of America intervened in Afghanistan in late 2001, in the aftermath of the events of 9-11, um, Americans were actually welcomed by Afghan civilians in many places. However, close to a decade mm -hmm. later, what we see is that the ground has shifted, with the US mm -hmm. presence drawing very mixed mm -hmm. reactions to very negative reactions, in fact, um, in Afghanistan. What mm -hmm. do you think explains this shift in the mood? Uh, well, Dr. Saib, let me first of all tell you why it was welcomed. Because uh, I think my story, which mm -hmm. I just explained, it was uh, like only a bit of, you know, what we went through that time. I think, it, I think it explains all, like living in a dark era, disconnected with the world and, you know, having to suffer, being persecuted for many reasons. And then, of course, the women of the, the, the family, uh, girls, you know, they were confined and, you know, deprived of taking an education. Um, so I think it all actually paved the way for that. And then, you know, I quite remember the days when the U.S. came in. For example, it provided opportunity, of course, for tens of thousands of Afghans to, you know, to open up and to, to do something, you know, from starting up uh, businesses, small businesses, to learning English and finding an opportunity actually to see the world from a different perspective. So um, for, for, for so many of us, this was a great opportunity. And in fact, most of us see what we have today indebted to that, you know, um, uh, era, to that uh, event. Of course, that was a very horrific event, event which happened on 9-11. But, you know, that also opened up another chapter of life for so many Afghans because, you know, the Taliban were toppled down from power. And then, you know, it, it gave everyone an opportunity actually to see a different angle of the world. Um, um, regarding your question, regarding the shift, um, I, I think, you know, from our perspective, um, we do appreciate the international community's uh, presence in Afghanistan, that they actually, you know, invested in blood and treasure in Afghanistan to to make today uh, 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 happen and to, to make today possible. Like if you look at the footage, I'm sure that you're also perhaps not listening to the voice, but watching footage of the um, Afghan uh, talks, peace talks in Doha, you can see the difference, Dr. Saif. On one side is the Taliban, on the other side, there is, you know, a diverse team of, of, of Afghans representing today's Afghanistan. So would it be possible, would it be possible if, if like, let's imagine, 
you know, the situation is still existed. No, it, it wouldn't be possible. I'm sure you're seeing the footage of Fauzia Kufi, um, a member of the parliament and also a member of the negotiating team who is there with, uh, you know, bandage on her hand who was recently attacked in, in Afghanistan. You see a young person as young as 27 years old representing today's Afghanistan in that negotiating team. So I think these are, you know, some of the, uh, some of the progress and development that we don't, don't take it for granted. Uh, having said that, um, you know, perhaps the situation could have been handled in a better way, perhaps. Um, uh, uh, perhaps, you know, it is, it is time actually to review and see, you know, to learn from what, what, what could have been done in the past that, you know, we could have avoided a lot of things and perhaps, you know, led Afghanistan to a better way. Um, and nevertheless, uh, from our perspective, you know, that brought a change, a huge change, and it's still, it is being appreciated uh, by the Afghan people. Uh, we don't take it for granted, of course. Uh, as I said, I mean, explain to you. So the footage that you are just seeing, I'm sure that explains everything down there. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of things, as I said, could have been handled in a better way. So I, I think it's uh, uh, the course of history that we learn and apply, you know, things, uh, perhaps another chance for Afghanistan uh, now as, uh, you know, uh, the... Uh, peace is very eminent. So, Qadri Saheb, as um, you know, the United States of America embarks in uh, hammering out a peace agreement with the Taliban, many people believe that the United States of America perhaps made a grave mistake by spurning reconcilable elements of the Taliban at the Bonn Conference in late 2001 when they were amenable to negotiate and negotiate from a position of weakness as compared to today where the United States, many argue, is being compelled to negotiate with the Taliban who are negotiating from them from a position of strength. So do you think the Americans have made a great mistake? Let me, let me be very quick in this, like Dr. Seba, give you a quick response regarding this. The circumstances um, right after fall of the Taliban, I think they were quite different to the situation that we have today. At that time, the Taliban, you know, they had harbored the international terrorists, which led to 9-11. Uh, while the situation has changed uh, today, you know, as the American troops are actually withdrawing their troops from Afghanistan. Um, so, of course, they want, you know, the, the Taliban group, which, you know, everyone hopes that um, their mindset and their attitude has changed, hopefully. So um, to be actually integrated into the Afghan society. So um, as uh, our uh, the team, the negotiating team of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan is negotiating in Qatar now. We are, at least, you know, from the Afghan perspective, the Afghan government's perspective, we are speaking from a position of strength because we want the Taliban to integrate into Afghanistan. We give them the chance. I think there are a lot of examples that we have had in the past. For example, let me give the example of Hikmat Yar. Uh, where, you know, he integrated and he, um, as based on the Afghan constitution, he uh, nominated himself for, you know, the presidential elections and his son actually stood for the parliament. So that is the kind of thing, you know, from the Afghan perspective. But, but from the American perspective, I think things have changed, changed as well. The priorities, Dr. Saab, have changed as they are withdrawing their troops. They want the Taliban to be integrated, to, to make peace with the Afghan government. But Hekmatyar is not a military force to reckon with, you know. Well, 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 Dr. Saif, um, well, even the Taliban, I gave you an example even before that the Taliban are not actually winning any, any battlefield on the forefront of war. 
just give yet me one example that they have captured any major districts. Yet uh, what we well they have uh, captured districts in Badakhshan, districts like Rag, districts like Argo. Uh, what is even more striking is that the Americans have continued to negotiate with the Taliban as they mounted very spectacular attacks in the green village in Kabul. They launched attacks in Pule Khumri, they launched attacks in Kunduz and blatantly used it essentially on the negotiating table to drive a hard bargain with Washington. Well, everyone, Dr. Se, wants um, uh, Afghans, you know, they have suffered for 40 decades. I think for us, what is important is an enduring and perennial and uh, lasting uh, peace uh, for, uh, for Afghanistan. So, of course, we do appreciate the contribution of uh, the international community in Afghanistan who have, you know, invested in blood and treasure. I think the priorities of our government uh, are that we will enter the negotiating uh, table as we are today. We will negotiate with the Taliban how much they have changed, if they are ready to integrate into the Afghan society, if they can be part of, you know, a political uh, agreement uh, for the future of Afghanistan. But regarding the international community's um, agendas, uh, I think, you know, uh, of course, as I said, the circumstances have changed and uh, um, I don't want to comment on that really. Okay. So, uh, Mr. Kadri, the proposed deal uh, which the Taliban have signed with the US does not make a single mention of the Islamic Republic, the Afghan constitution, women's rights or human rights. So what insights do you believe this offers in the socio-political order that the Taliban are trying to bargain for with the USA? Well, if you look at the composition of our team today, I think it speaks for itself. As I previously mentioned that, you know, the Afghan delegation representing today Afghanistan, the women, the brave women uh, who are, you know, across the negotiating team today, I think it speaks for uh, a new Afghanistan, a modern Afghanistan, which has changed. Um, uh, our, um, uh, 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 our conditions are quite specific and very clear that, you know, Islamic Republic of Afghanistan is the red line. The constitution is the red line. The gains we have made over the last 19 years, uh, they are uh, the red line. And, um, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, today's Afghanistan, which we really hope that the Taliban will understand and realize that, uh, you know, when they left Afghanistan, it, it's a totally different country now uh, that we are living in, uh, where, you know, the rights of women, minorities, the civil uh, uh, rights and also the freedom of expression, it is, uh, you know, uh, preserved and regarded there. So um, from our perspective, the red lines are very clear. That is what, you know, in the course of the next couple of days, our negotiating team will be speaking with the Taliban. And um, uh, recently we convened over a Louis consultative Louis Jirga Grand Assembly where more than 3,000 people came from across Afghanistan to um, actually talk about their red lines, to say what they want. And as a, a goodwill gesture, they also accepted the release of a couple of hundred Taliban prisoners um, just to show the goodwill because of, uh, you know, um, uh, getting and achieving uh, an enduring peace. Khadri uh, Saheb, um, you know, the peace deal that is being inked what is very striking is that if one carefully reads through the text of the peace agreement, the United States tasks the Taliban specifically to ensure, and I quote, that it will not provide visas, passports, travel permits, or other legal documents to those who pose a threat to the security of the United States and its allies to enter Afghanistan. 
them, unquote. These are functions typically reserved for the states and not for non-state entities. So what do you make of this clause in the peace agreement? Well, Dr. Seb, let's, uh, um, for me, for us, what is important is the negotiating that we are doing with the Taliban today. I think these are, you know, this is the moment that we are negotiating with the Taliban about the future, about a possible future agreement, what we want and what the Taliban really want. I think this is the moment. Um, so um, regarding, you know, the, as I said, Dr. Seb, if you look at the uh, tweets and you know, speeches of the, our international partners in Afghanistan, they have always been actually, you know, mentioning the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan as, you know, a red line as well. Even when Amrullah Saleh, uh, the um, uh, first vice president of Afghanistan, the Afghan president was attacked. As you could see, the European Union came and said that this is an attack on the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, on the Republic, in fact. So I think that it speaks for itself that for us, the moment is now, for us, the moment is uh, that, you know, how our representatives coming from uh, uh, diverse um, walks of the society will be, you know, raising all those issues uh, of the women's rights, human rights, minority rights, and the Afghan constitution. <laughs> Let me give you an example. In one of the very initial peace talks, um, where, um, you know, a couple of Afghan civil society members had attended, um, perhaps I, I was just, of course, this is a story I was told by one of the members. Uh, one of the Taliban, you know, members tells the girl, sitting across the table that, you know, don't worry, once, you know, we come to Afghanistan, we will be giving you women rights. And then this Afghan civil society member says that, um, thank you so much, but you don't have to give me my rights because my rights have been stipulated um, uh, in and enshrined in the Afghan constitution. So I think this is, you know, uh, this, this is the good reason I can give you that um, whatever uh, could be, you know, there. What matters for us is what is happening now in Qatar, how we negotiate, you know, what are the compromises that the two sides want to make? Um, I think that's it. And for us, as I said, the name the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, uh, preservation of the constitution, all the rights we have gained, all the, the, the gains we have made over the last 19 years, uh, these are the red lines. Uh, Mr. Kadri, you were talking about how uh, the Taliban and the Afghan government have two different sides. The Taliban is trying to uh, you know, organize this Islamic state, while the Afghan government has a democratic uh, in, uh, you know, constitution that's ready. What are the chances that they meet halfway and uh, keep good on their promises? If this negotiation that's happening in Doha fails to fructify, what do you believe is the likely outcome for the political future of Afghanistan and its potential impact on the region? Do you believe that they can keep their promise? Well, the, the political, uh, well, we have got, you know, a democratic government there. Uh, we have the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. We have got institutions. Um, uh, remember one thing uh, that I previously mentioned as well, that we are fighting with 21, more than 21 regional and international terrorist groups in Afghanistan. And the Taliban is, of course, one of them. So um, having said that, the Afghan government um, is being represented with determination of, you know, achieving or, uh, of uh, uh, for achieving peace for Afghans. Because, um, you know, even when you look at the compromises that the government made, uh, of releasing um, uh, more than 5,500 um, uh, prisoners of the Taliban, which, you know, 500 was actually a, 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 an extra 
for for them, even though only only five thousand, you know, was mentioned there uh, in the deal. But you know, they did it just to pave the way and ease the way for you know achieving peace in Afghanistan. So if the Taliban, I think it is a, a, a historic opportunity for the Taliban to accept the realities of Afghanistan and you know integrate themselves into a political. Um, a deal where they can also uh, uh, have, you know, their future in Afghanistan. If they believe in having people's support and public support, I think today's Afghanistan is the platform for them that they can come and integrate and see themselves represented in the future. Uh, however, uh, well, we uh, at this point, let's be very optimistic. We are very optimistic that the peace, that the, the talks uh, underway, it will yield results. Of course, it won't happen overnight. It might take time. Because uh, the both sides, uh, I think they have a lot to discuss and a lot to talk. But um, uh, having said that, I think the uh, idea of getting together today, it is itself is a historic thing. I think it is historic from many perspectives. Uh, from our side, it means that the Taliban have accepted that, you know, they have to uh, stop the bloodshed. Um, and there are conditions as well. Of course, they have to stop the bloodshed. They have to reduce the violence and, you know, temporary uh, um, uh, ceasefire. And then later on, uh, permanent ceasefire, as suggested by the Afghan lawyer Jirga. Um, so the Afghan government, from the Afghan government perspective, is very committed to upholding whatever we have, the constitution, the institutions, and uh, the future. Uh, and of course, you know, as per all uh, the uh, accords, you know, signed with the international community, we will still have the support of the international uh, community in the years to come. So, Mr. Kazi, you talked to us about how the peace agreement has a certain few clauses. And one of the clauses that is explicitly mentioned in the peace deal between Taliban and the U.S. is the one where the U.S. has asked the Taliban to cut their ties with the Al-Qaeda. But the NATO chief, General Austin Miller, has publicly asserted that the Taliban retained their linkages with the Al-Qaeda as late as May 2019. Yet, the U.S. has inked an agreement with the Taliban asking them to sever their ties to the Al-Qaeda. Do you think the Taliban is capable of keeping their promises? Well, uh, that is uh, something, you know, between perhaps the Taliban, that uh, agreement and our uh, American friends. Uh, but um, uh, we have time and again said that the Taliban have to disconnect themselves to show their commitment and to show their willingness to um, a peaceful Afghanistan. Uh, and I think that is, you know, something that they have promised to our American friends. Uh, so for us, we have time and again said that, you know, the Taliban have been harboring, you know, those insurgent groups and they have to disconnect themselves to pave the way for a peaceful uh, future. The Trump administration has just announced as Afghanistan, you know, on the eve of the intra-Afghan peace negotiations, the Trump administration has just announced a further reduction in troop levels in Afghanistan. Now, how do you see this impacting intra-Afghan negotiations? And do you believe that this reduction in troops in Afghanistan is merely part of election gimmickery as, you know, Trump gears for a, um, you know, election season in November 2020? Or do you think it's an indication of America's determination to leave Afghanistan irrespective of the outcome of the peace negotiations? Uh, I think the uh, idea of reduction in the number of troops has been there for a long time. Uh, 
Uh, however, um, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, we do appreciate the contribution that the international community, especially the United States, uh, has been making to, um, secure, to, to a secure and peaceful Afghanistan. And they have, of course, you know, sacrificed a lot, the Americans and the international community. Having said that, it has been the Afghan troops who have been at the forefront of fighting terrorist groups for a long time now. Of course, you know, they get uh, the uh, support um, uh, from our international partners, including the U especially the U.S. However, uh, it is the Afghan security groups who are uh, doing the fighting uh, and uh, they are fighting at many fronts. So, Mr. Kadri, earlier you were talking to us about how this uh, would be the Taliban's uh, chance to prove themselves and their intentions to integrate within the Afghan society and make sure that they would be good on their promises. But what do you believe are the changed socio-political realities within Afghanistan that the Taliban are likely to be confronted with as they embark on the intra-Afghan negotiations today? Well, uh, the um, today's Afghanistan, we have always said that today's Afghanistan has changed a lot. Um, today's Afghanistan... Uh, uh, believes in women's rights, human rights, in the rights of the minorities. Uh, we have freedom of expression. Um, during the Taliban regime, perhaps there was only one radio channel. Now we have got hundreds of TV channels and radio channels. We have got a, a strong presence of civil society. Um, women, they have a much more stronger presence, presence in today's Afghanistan. Uh, more than, you know, 30% of uh, women are being presented in the Afghan parliament. Um, mm. We have uh, women uh, working as uh, police officers um, and, you know, deep ministers in our security sectors. Uh, and recently, uh, the uh, Excellency, the President, uh, announced that uh, more than uh, 34 women will be appointed as uh, deputy uh, governors all across Afghanistan. The reason why I'm talking about this is that these are the realities of today's Afghanistan. We have got so many universities and at least 40% of Afghan women and girls, they go to universities. So this is a reality of today's Afghanistan that the Taliban, we have time again said that the Taliban should and must accept these realities and the changes that Afghanistan has uh, endorsed over the last years. So um, I think today's historic event, again, uh, why I refer to it is that the composition that you see from the Afghan negotiating team, uh, that it speaks for itself, that what kind of Afghanistan the Taliban will be facing and who they are dealing with and who they will be dealing with. Of course, it is a democratic society. Everyone can have their share and everyone can have their own style of living. But of course, under one rooftop and accepting the Afghan constitution and uh, the uh, principles we have. Right. You know, what happens in Afghanistan is certainly not only being watched very carefully around the world, but is particularly going to impact Afghanistan's neighbors in many ways. The Taliban of late have been issuing statements seeking friendly ties with all their neighbors, including India. And they've even called on the generals in Rabalpindi not to link the Afghan peace settlements to the developments in Kashmir. How should New Delhi read the changing messaging by the Taliban? And do you believe is it possible to decouple Pakistan from the Afghan theater? Uh, well, uh, Dr. Sir, the peace in Afghanistan, actually, it will affect the region uh, in one way or another. So that's why 
the Afghan government, we in the Afghan government have been building this consensus with the regional countries, with all our neighbors, in fact, you know, His Excellency, our president, His Excellency, the former minister, and, you know, other high-ranking Afghan officials have been speaking with our neighbors to build a consensus where to tell the neighbors and the region that a safe Afghanistan is a safe region, um, which uh, has paid off. And today, the reason why we are in Qatar today and having the support of the regional countries, our regional and, uh, countries and our, uh, our neighbors, including India, is, I think, it speaks for itself. Um, um, so uh, as per for India's involvement, uh, one good thing about uh, our uh, good uh, neighbor and friend India has been that it has been supporting uh, the position of the Afghan government, the position of the Afghan people so far uh, uh, when it comes to peace talks, because we share same values with India. And that is, I think these values are quite important for India to be preserved. So that's why um, they have been supporting the position of the Afghan government, which is very much appreciated by us. But of course, you know, in the course of the uh, next rounds of negotiations, it would be much more clear the position of all these countries. But what we want um, uh, from our uh, friends and neighbors has been to support the uh, position of the Afghan government and the end state, which will ultimately you know, come out as a result of uh, the negotiations. But what do you make of the Taliban's messaging on the issue of Kashmir? Why do you think they are issuing these statements? Well, uh, Dr. Sab, I don't speak for the Taliban, so that's why I think it is perhaps for them to say what they want. But for us, you know, um, that is our position, which I just explained. You know, you talked about essentially shared values with India and how the Indian government has supported the Afghan government. But what is very interesting is if we go back a little in time to May 2019, the then Indian Foreign Minister, Sri Mati Sushma Swaraj, now late, you know, at the Shanghai Cooperation uh, Summit, actually stated, and I quote, India stands committed to any process which can help Afghanistan emerge as a united, peaceful, secure, stable, inclusive and economically vibrant nation with guaranteed gender and human rights. Um, this is a departure from India's stated position of, you know, an Afghan-led, Afghan-owned process. India very subtly shifted to any process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, for India, Dr. Saip, um, the term Afghan-led, Afghan-owned and Afghan-controlled peace process, actually, it comes from our Indian friends. And uh, as I mentioned before, that, you know, what um, matters for us is actually having the bucking of, of, you know, a country that we share a lot of things, historic values and especially democratic values, which is happening now. And that has been the reason why India has been standing by the Afghan people, especially during the current peace, peace talks, saying that, you know, we support the position of the Afghan government because for India, uh, um, a strong Kabul uh, and central government is very important, which is actually the well of us and is the well of the Afghan people. But critics have argued that, you know, India has been perhaps one of the most reluctant neighbors of Afghanistan, particularly when it com comes to engage engaging with the very uh, dynamic and very volatile, you know, political contours in Afghanistan. Uh, the ground has been shifting very rapidly. And critics argue that the government of India essentially has missed the bus, so to speak, on shaping the political future of Afghanistan. Do you believe India made a mistake by not engaging in the peace process early on? 
especially so when many of its you know former allies like Iran and Russia with whom India had worked very closely over a long period of time were already doing so by directly quoting the Taliban I wouldn't agree doctor so I wouldn't agree that the that the Indian government has been reluctant towards Afghanistan I think the 3 plus billion dollars you know contribution they have made towards rebuilding Afghanistan um ha- is very much appreciated and you can see the um you can see uh, the uh, signs of it in Afghanistan building the uh, 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 house of parliament in Afghanistan to show that India believes in Afghan Afghanistan's democracy uh, building the water dam in Afghanistan to show that India believes in Afghanistan infrastructure and uh, you know the cricket stadiums to show that india actually uh, believes in afghanistan's you know entertainment and sport i think these are some good signs of you know how india how india's assistance has um, uh, actually uh, earned the minds and hearts of the afghan people and won the afghan uh, minds and hearts of uh, of uh, hearts and minds of afghans uh, in afghanistan so um I wouldn't agree with what you just uh, the statement that you know as if like India has been reluctant no India's contribution has been very hugely uh, um, uh, respected and appreciated by the Afghan people and you know the scholarships that they have been giving to Afghanistan in particular you know right after fall of the Taliban that more than some 60,000 Afghans uh, graduated from here I think that is that is a big sign and, and and a big relief for a country where the literacy rate was you know very much uh, high So as with the peace talks the India's position has been supporting the Afghan government's position which is again from our perspective uh, uh, this is you know that uh, the uh, kind of uh, thing that the Afghan Afghanistan and India shares together because these this is the value that the Indian government has been giving to the Afghan people and the Afghan government saying that we support the position of the Afghan government which you know makes us much more stronger in the peace talks right so India and Afghanistan have shared a very long history and it was India was seen as a side with a better story in Afghanistan however of late developments such as the CAA and the developments in Kashmir and finally the riots in Delhi have manifested themselves in Kabul and Herat and for the first time there were anti India protests how far do changes in india's domestic politics affect its ability to shape developments in friendly neighboring countries such as afghanistan uh i would suffice to few sentences regarding that that these issues are internal matters of india and uh, you know we uh, actually have no comments regarding that well um clearly you know india's um, had i mean india's um, essentially i think had a lot of soft power potential which um, you know perhaps has been um, eroded to a certain degree because never before in the history of india afghan relations in modern times have we seen you know anti india protests in urban areas and in the indian flag being burnt uh, all of which is is new it's small but it's a new development i think something that our indians um, friends in friends of afghanistan in india should um keep an eye out for but having talked about that you know apart from the taliban and the al qaeda you've mentioned there are a number of other groups operating in afghanistan the most prominent of these have been the islamic state how do you think the rise of the islamic state is going to alter the dynamic in afghanistan let's also not for, forget very recently there was an attack on a gurdwara in kabul in shor bazar 
and one of the recruits who attacked the Gurdwara was an Indian Muslim who essentially, you know, on being caught, argued that he was avenging, you know, the atrocities in Muslims taking place in India. So how do you think, in other words, the rise of groups like the ISIS, for instance, in Afghanistan is going to alter the dynamic? Uh, well, Dr. Saib, uh, Afghanistan has been fighting with more than 21 terrorist groups uh, across the country. And um, um, the uh, attack on the Gurdwara was very unfortunate. But Afghans get, um, I mean, there has been indiscriminate attacks on all Afghans, irrespective of who they are. I'm sure you know, you, you know that, you know, the, the bombs which blow across Afghanistan, it indiscriminately kills and targets all Afghans. But, you know, that particular attack was very much unfortunate, of course. Um, uh, however, uh, the Afghan security forces have been actively, you know, fighting and cracking down on all terrorist groups across Afghanistan, um, uh, you know, irrespective of what kind of, you know, terrorist groups they have links with and which terrorist groups they uh, belong to. Okay. Um, do you believe that the peace agreement once it's signed, is going to impact the strategic partnership in, uh, agreement inked with India or the bilateral security agreement uh, inked with the United States because the Taliban have been insisting on a complete and absolute withdrawal of American troops as a precondition for peace. Whereas the BSA, for instance, allows the Americans to retain troops, right, even if it's for counter-terror measures. Do you think it's going to have a spin-off on these key security agreements that the Afghan government has inked with its external partners? Well, it's too early, Doctor, so to talk about that and to comment on that. I think we have to just wait and see, uh, first of all, what will come out of the peace deal, but the peace, sorry, talks, ongoing negotiations with the Taliban, which is with, uh, kick started today. I think we have to wait and see what happens here. And then based on that, I think a lot of things might, will be much more clear. But one thing is very clear that we have got this strategic agreement, um, uh, uh, security agreement with the United States. And you know, we have a strategic agreement with uh, our Indian uh, uh, friends. I think um, uh, that will remain. Nothing, of course, will happen to that. But, you know, the um, uh, negotiations uh, happening in Afghanistan is part, uh, mainly to ask the Taliban to stop the violence and the bloodshed and integrate into uh, uh, new Afghanistan. Okay. On that note, thank you so much, Mr. Kadri, for having taken the time out for this episode of Charsha with Cass. Thank you so much, Dr. Saivan, and thank you so much for uh, giving me the platform. Thank you so much, Mr. Kadri. It's always a pleasure to host you and to collaborate with you. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap on episode 3 of Charsha with Cass. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's show and we also hope you're staying safe and healthy. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have a lovely week. Goodbye.